there's not one thing you can do on crowdfunding campaign that will just like, ooh, okay, I made all this money, like we're successful. There's so many little things that you have to prepare and just bring them together. And that's how you get successful. Welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series, a series that is so much more than just a podcast series. This is a movement towards freedom in life and in work and about taking a lifestyle you know you deserve. I'm your host, Sam, and I have always admired working where you want, when you want, and how you want. Just like my guests, I found my version of the freedom lifestyle, and I'm sharing all the secrets for how you can too. The freedom lifestyle looks different for everyone. What's your free? You're listening to episode 25 of the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series. So nice to be back in your ears again this week. Thank you for coming back for more. This episode, I am delivering the goods. If you've ever considered running a crowdfunding campaign to fund a project, (laughs) that's Bagheera meowing, idea, business venture, a philanthropic project, or if you're just curious how crowdfunding even works, I've produced this episode with you in mind. A couple weeks ago when I recorded these two interviews, there was still a lot of mystery to me about how it works and what it takes, but now I can say I'm a crowdfunder and I have a crowdfunding campaign. What I've learned is it's a lot of hustle, okay? So crowdfunding, if you're not familiar, it's the practice of funding a project or a venture by raising a small amount of money from a lot of people. Typically over the internet, platforms like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, there's GoFundMe, and for my women-identifying friends, there's a platform even called iFundWomen. Each of these platforms come with their own stipulations and rules, and in this episode, we're going to focus on Kickstarter, whose mission is to help bring creative projects to life. The way Kickstarter works is you set a dollar goal of how much money you want to raise. You set a time limit for how long you want to fundraise for, typically about 30 days. And if you hit your goal, you get the money. Amazing. You got to ship everybody everything or do what you said you'd do, but you have the money. If you don't raise your goal, it doesn't matter how close you are, all of that money gets returned to your backers and you get nothing. So intense. It's all or nothing, but it makes for some really exciting campaigns. So as you might know, I've been working on creating my first book with my boyfriend, Jared. He was actually on the podcast a couple episodes ago, interviewing me about the freedom lifestyle and how this whole podcast and community came to be. He's amazing. And we've spent most of our relationship in a long distance relationship. He was in San Francisco, I was in Toronto, and over those two years in LDR, we learned a ton about what it takes to make that work. So him and I, we went on a mission, and we've created this really fun and interactive activity book for couples who are either in an LDR or who often get separated for, you know, either work or school or military, all different things. We partnered with a registered psychologist who looked over all of our content and made sure that the activities we were suggesting were really effective. 
And we launched the book on Kickstarter last week because we needed enough money to print the minimum order of books, which is a thousand. And we've already raised over $8,000 in pledges. So it's been a super exciting week for us. I'd love for you to check out our campaign, watch our cheesy but cute video, and share it with anyone you know that's in an LDR. Of course, if you want to throw us a pledge too, we would love that as well. So for today's guests, I wanted to interview two entrepreneurs who had gone through the Kickstarter campaigning process and could talk about what works, what doesn't work, and what their experience was like for them. We're going to hear about two completely different campaigns, one that hit their goal and got the money, and one who missed the mark and had all of their pledges returned. First up is Joe and Jen, the women behind the Bevoy Travel Journal. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on the show. Thanks Thank so much for, for having, having us. us. We're so excited. It's our first time. Amazing. This is my first time having multiple guests in the same interview. So for my audience's benefits, how about you each introduce yourself so that we know whose voice is whose? I'm Joe, And I'm Jen. Amazing. And you ladies are the co-founder of Bevoy Travel Journal? Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's start off with an easy question. Maybe for you, Joe. what does Bevoy stand for? So Bevoy stands for a better version of yourself. And the name of our brand that the product falls under is called uh, Bevoy & Co. Okay. And when did you come up with the idea for the Bevoy Travel Journal? And is this your one product? Is this your first product? Tell us a little bit more about the business and how it came to be. Yeah, it's our first product. We started in October of 2016 and the idea actually came about um, on a trip that we both took together in California, a road trip. So we've been working on it for about two years now, and the first year was really all about developing the product, which you know we put a lot of effort into, we were very particular about. It also consisted of us testing prototypes and traveling with it, um, having our friends and like family travel with it, and also launching our first Kickstarter campaign. And then in the second year, it was really all about um, tweaking the journal based on the feedback that we got from our family and friends, and ordering the units, and then launching on our very own website. So Jen, maybe you can tell me a bit more about this California road trip. I love California. My boyfriend was living out in San Francisco for a few years. Did you do the Highway 101? Yes, we yeah. did. Yeah, so this trip was different from how we approached other ones where we really set goals for what we wanted to do in our life. And then also when we were there, we would reflect with each other on like, how do you think the trip's going? Are we reaching what we want to do? And are we um, fulfilling what we envision ourselves to be like on this trip? So uh, it was very different with how we organized the road trip. And that's how the B-Boy Travel Journal was inspired. So you were almost using a journal without a journal and mm-hmm. giving yourself these yeah. prompts. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of some of the prompts that you had back on then? Like what does intentional travel look like? What are some of the questions that you make people think about before and during a trip? Yeah, so we split our journal into a couple sections. So there's the before, during, and after your trip. So before the trips, the prompts kind of just um, get you hyped up really for your experience. And so we're asking you where you're going, who you're going with, what do you like about them? Um, How do you see your current life today? What are some of the things you worry about? If you close your eyes and envision a better version of yourself, what does that look like? Things like that. Um, And then while you're on your trip, we're asking you about your mindset for the day, uh, what brings you joy when you wake up, what lessons you're learning, um, what you're grateful for. And then when you're back home, we're asking you about what you learned about yourself, what you learned about the trip, and just what you know for sure now that you're back, and how do you, what's your new perspectives on the worries that you have in your life? 
sounds like you were friends before this. Can you tell me a little bit about how you two met and how you how you realized like, hey, maybe we can be more than just friends? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Joe and I go way back. Uh, we met each other in first year, Frosh Week University. So what school? Very, uh, University of Waterloo and Laurier. We both did a math and business degree for four and a half years because we had this co-op term. And the program's really, really small, so we actually had the exact same classes as each other. So we worked on all of our math assignments together, studied together, did all of our business cases together. So we really knew what each other's work ethic, what we kind of liked, what our style was. Um, and then when we graduated and we started working, we are like, we should really create our own projects and do something that we actually enjoy outside of work, um, just to test it out. And that's how we started our YouTube channel first, just to test the waters to mm-hmm. see how serious we were about it. And when we liked the routine of working something outside of work, that's when we started, okay, let's try to create an idea within a year and launch it and see how far we can go with it. How has it impacted your friendship? Because I had a business with my friends before. I'm currently launching a product with my boyfriend, and I'm not going to pretend it's perfect. It definitely strained the relationship. And can you talk to a little bit about what that experience has been like for you two? Oddly enough, we found that it actually strengthened our relationship. I don't think I could have done this with any other person. We have the same vision and mission and what we find fulfilling in life, and we've always talked about that being in school and even after school and I think that's something you can't cultivate either you have it or you not or you don't because you everyone has the same vision and it doesn't really change much in the course of your life and I think one thing that we try to do is we try to be upfront and honest if something's changing we have changing um, things that we want in terms of how much money we want to commit to this how much time we want to commit to this Um, and those things change week to week or month to month but we have to communicate and talk about it and we try to respect each other what we want and align our business to uh, make sure that we both get what we want out of the business. I want to talk a little bit about your Kickstarter campaign now so maybe Joe, you can tell us why you wanted to launch the product with a, a crowdfunding campaign why Kickstarter and maybe what your goal was for the campaign from a monetary and pledge perspective. Mm-hmm. So when we came up with the idea for the product, we knew that we're both pretty risk averse people. So we knew that we weren't going to take any like really crazy leaps and bounds um, to do this. And we were pretty much going to like self self-fund um, as much of it as possible. So Kickstarter was kind of our way of jumping into it without having to make a really huge commitment. It was a way to kind of like test the waters and see, do people even like this? Do they respond to it? Do they respond to the brand and the mission and the vision? And we also, we were a little naive going into it. Like we thought there was just like this whole Kickstarter community of, and there probably is, but a whole Kickstarter community of people who are just like waiting to like buy stuff (laughs) the moment you launch it. So um, we thought, well, might as well put something out there and like see if they like it. Like those people who are just early adopters and want to see what cool new things come out. Um, But we found that wasn't the case and you really have to like ramp up and find your audience Uh, they're not just sitting there waiting on Kickstarter to buy but yeah really it was just our way to test it out without making any huge like putting down any huge amount of money or um, really committing to the idea until we saw that people liked liked it totally that reminds me of when I launched my first Shopify store and it was like where are the customers (laughs) what 
<laughs> I thought Shopify solved all of this problem. It gave me a channel to reach them. But you know what? You don't believe it until you try it. Because yeah. even though you read articles of like tips and tricks and things like that, we're like, I think we'll, we'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the number goal you wanted and like what happened on that journey and what that was like. We set a goal of 5,000, I believe. 10,000, 10,000. We set a goal of 10,000 and um, we didn't reach that goal and we found um, a lot of things kind of surprised us along the way um, and a lot of things like worked that we didn't expect as well. So a couple of things that (laughs) kind of surprised us was first and foremost social media. Like we were really surprised that that didn't drive like anything (laughs) the way that we thought it would Um, because I mean everyone's on their phone everyone's on Instagram so we I guess we just thought like oh we'll make an account post some really nice pictures and communicate our vision and our product and people will kind of like gravitate towards us and support our campaign but nope that's not what happened Um, and we also tried dabbling into ads on social media and we found that that didn't really drive anything either so that was I think the biggest shocker for us one of the other things where we tried reaching out to a lot of people like writers like Forbes writers and magazine writers and things like that to get featured because really we were trying to raise our brand awareness no responses so that (laughs) kind of didn't work as we expected so those are the things that didn't work but what we found did work was reaching out to family and friends and just Anyone we knew, like it could have been acquaintances, people that we went to school with like years ago. We just reached out to anyone we knew and we were actually really surprised by the amount of support we got. And it also um, allowed us to like make connections with those people again that we haven't talked to in a while, which was really cool. Um, And then the other thing was going to -to face-to-face events. We found that it worked in terms of making connections, not really in terms of funding our event, but we were able to meet a really lot of a lot of really cool people, um, especially in the entrepreneurship community. There's so much support, and people were always just so keen and willing to introduce us to people, and that's how we got a lot of like our features on other people's platforms and things like that. So that was really cool and presented a lot of opportunity. That's awesome. I can so relate to the kindling old relationships as I'm about to ramp up to launch mine. I'm messaging people from high school and like, I want to say something customized. So I go into a rupture and I'm like, oh, you had a kid. Like, how's how's married life? How's being a dad? Exactly. That's exactly what we found too. But it's really really nice. So nice. nice. It gives you an opportunity to chat with them. And of course, Mm -hmm. some people are going to be like, okay, you're just selling me. Right. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I find there's more people that are like what a great idea Mm -hmm. good for you I'm happy to support someone's listening to this and they're thinking about starting a crowdfunding campaign let's give them a couple really tactical tips so if you only had 48 hours okay you can only do a couple things in 48 hours what would you do for your crowdfunding campaign so I think first and foremost, we would have definitely counted down to our campaign. We didn't do that. We just kind of like launched it one day. Um, but when you have a countdown, it kind of creates that anticipation. People know that something's coming. They're looking forward to it. So definitely would have done that. And then definitely would have threw like the biggest launch party that existed. Invite everyone you know and then have like the timer go down. And when the clock strikes zero, you all like everyone in the room just like supports and buys and shares with their friends on their social media accounts, etc. Because the first couple days or hours probably um, of your Kickstarter campaign are the most crucial. If the momentum doesn't start, it's not going to continue. Do something more creative. So we would have had like some more creative packages or at least like an introductory offer for the first, I don't know, let's say 500 buyers or something. 
um, just to have like a more of a unique touch. So with our journal, we talked about maybe we would have had like calligraphy or embossing or just something really cool, maybe a collab with another um, business venture um, for the first people who get it, they get another like product or service with it, something like that to create a little bit more excitement and buzz and something that's shareable that you want to like talk to your friends about. Cool. Jen, any additional tips from you? I think that was the main thing. The launch is the biggest thing. And being, oh, actually, leading up to the 48 hours, if I knew it was going to be 48 hours, I would be telling everyone ahead of time what I was doing face-to-face. I think we didn't do that because we were, like, shy or scared of what was going to happen. But this time around, I would show people how passionate I am about this so that they email, uh, sign up for the email subscriber list, pre-orders or any of that. So I would ramp up to the launch as much as possible. Well, Joe and Jen are going to be at our event later this month at WeWork, November 21st. They're going to have a really cool brand activation where you can enter to win a journal of your own. You can actually see it and touch it, and they'll give some tips on intentional travel. So I'm excited to connect again there. And thank you so much for spending your Friday evening with me. Thank, thank you. you this is really us. cool. Yeah. You have a great voice, by the way. <laughs> I think you all do. It sounds really good from here. We'll see how it is in post-production. Okay. Bye. 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 Next up is Stephania from House of Honesty. You'll hear a lot about her super innovative fashion tech project, as well as the final stats of her super successful Kickstarter campaign. So impressive. Stephania has two other co-founders in this business, but her and I just chatted one-on-one over a virtual call. This was my first virtual call podcast recording, which is exciting all on its own. Here she is. How's everything going with you? You just had a super successful crowdfunding campaign. Your product is officially in the market. You are now a fashion e-commerce owner. How does all of that feel? It's a bit overwhelming, but I'm so happy and like proud of everything we've done. And this is like a whole new world now we're entering. Um, Before, for three years, it was only uh, prototyping, how to create, create this like perfect bra. And as soon as we launched, like everything just changed. We had to, in 35 days, learn how to do customer service, uh, learn how to like react with like PR and the media, learn about fulfillment, um, like so many new things, like trying to raise capital. This is a whole new journey we're entering now. But I'm so excited. Like this, this is what I was waiting for. Like all these years, like this is the moment that everything's happening. So basically, overall, we we have designed now a bra that can adapt to women's breast size changes. Um, it can expand up to two cups and two band sizes, and then go back to the original form. And additionally, it can reduce um, back pain and shoulder pain by using bio, biocompatible gels. So three years ago, <laughs> I met my <laughs> How did we get to making this product? Uh, it was in March of 2015. I was in third year of um, my undergrad. I was a fashion communication student, so learning about the fashion industry and marketing uh, but I was a nerd in heart. I, I loved engineering and technology. So I attended a hackathon uh, on March of 2015, which was called Reengineering Fashion. It was part of Ryerson. 
And that's where I met my team members who their backgrounds is aerospace engineering and industrial engineering, and they love design. So it kind of mixed, uh, like it was a great combination, like the three of us coming together. My research uh, during university was all about smart materials, um, fashion technology, and finding ways of creating adaptable clothing. So for the hackathon, just for the sake of winning $1,000, we created, uh, we combined the research that I had and what I knew and found out that the lingerie industry um, is a massive market. It's worth over $9 billion just in North America. So at the hackathon, we just decided, okay, let's create an adaptable bra and we're going to win the $1,000. Woohoo! Like we're 20 year olds winning a, comp- a hackathon like that was our main thing and that how was long it. was the hackathon for people that don't you know aren't familiar with that term it was one of those like was it a 48 hour one or tell us a little bit about that too it was three days okay uh, three or four. yeah three days i think the fourth day was the pitching so they teach you for three days they bring different mentors uh, they tell you about how the fashion industry works and how you can mix it with engineering and basically you take everything you learn in those three days and you come up with a product in the fourth day so cool with the honesty bro so when we won that competition um i think it was two months later that we won another five thousand dollars and two months later after that we won another eight thousand dollars so we're like whoa we're on to (laughs) something and these were purely just at pitch competitions where you kept you know reselling that idea of something that didn't exist but in concept was what you your team had come up come up with Yes, exactly. It was more competitions in the university environment. So that was a big advantage for us. Um, so what we, why we decided to create a company is every time we attended conferences and trade shows, every time we told a woman, oh, we are trying to make an adaptable bra, their faces just, like, they smiled so much. They were so excited. They were like, we can't wait for this. And I think it was just that, that excitement and happiness from those women that kept us going. And we're like, okay, we need to create a company out of this. Okay. Wow. In all those years of you know pre-sales, working on something that didn't exist, it sounds like you had a ton of roadblocks. I can only imagine overseas prototyping and all of that stuff. What was your motivation to keep going? Was it you know, money related? Do you see this, you know, that $9 billion industry and that's really exciting to you? Was it more about using, you know, your skills and your expertise in the fashion space? Like what kept you going? Um, well, there were many times I thought of quitting, <laughs> but I think initially the first two years, it was mostly, I can explain this. I don't know how many other people can relate to this, but I was... <laughs> Back in high school, I, I, I was born and raised in Greece. So I went to high school in Greece. Um, I was never seen as the type of person that would ever manage to do anything amazing in their life. And as lame as it sounds now, I think the first two, three years of, on, the first two years of honesty and during university, I was just trying to prove myself to those people that I can do something. And once I managed, there was uh, the competition, a competition I won in August of 2017. As soon as I won that competition, I'm like, 
my mindset, my mindset changed that I need to stop doing this to prove to other people that I can do it. But I did, I need to start doing it for me and pushing me that I know, okay, I just won this competition. What else can I do? How, how much more can I push myself? How much further? And I was never a good employee. (laughs) I am not employable. I am, I can't, I hate people telling me what to do. So I always knew I'm going to have my own thing. I just never thought it would happen so soon and at this age. So, and I love fashion tech. I believe that I can, I truly, truly believe that I can change the the future of fashion and of retail. I believe that we can bring innovation into this industry. And maybe I could be the Elon Musk of the fashion world. Some people laugh at that, but I want to believe that. (laughs) No, I think that's super inspiring and why not, right? And I think that some of the most impressive people and the most successful people are people that come from, you know, unpredictable entrepreneurs and their whole life, they really felt like they were meant for more. And anytime life gave them a certain scenario, they just didn't accept it, whether it was a job or, you know, growing up in a certain area or being told what path you need to take. It sounds like you always knew you were destined for more and are, are really pushing for that every day. Exactly. It's been a long um, journey to realize this. Like I always knew, okay, I need to work for myself. I know I can, I know I'm going to be something one day, but now like I truly believe it. I'm like, uh, I, I can be Elon Musk if I want to. <laughs> I can be the Elon Musk of the fashion world. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your launch that kind of took place over the summer. You did such a great job marketing it. I know that I, you and I collabed a little bit and I helped promote it and it was super cool to check in and, and see the progress. So why did you decide to, to launch it with crowdfunding and why did you decide to go on Kickstarter versus some of the other platforms? Mm-hmm. Um, so initially when we were starting off the company, um, we didn't want to do Kickstarter so the whole go-to-market strategy has changed a lot in the last two years. We, we just didn't know how the business world and the startup world worked. Um, and we wanted to just make a bunch of like a 500 bras and go up to a retail store and be like, sell it. We, we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I think as we started learning more how the startup world works and getting more advisors, um, they told us, and we, we understood at one point that in order to make so many bras and even push the limit, like make more than 500, make 1500, um, we need money. And then when we started talking to possible investors after the competitions, all of them wanted the same thing. They wanted proof. They wanted proof that the someone will actually buy it. Uh, that was the biggest thing. They wanted to see if people wanted it. So crowdfunding was the best solution for that, for us to prove our point to the investors and also raise the money, both on the sa- in the same time. And has it been we, working? Because it sounds like you've been having a lot oh, of conversations raising money now. I'm looking at the stats. You were like 140% funded, almost 700 backers, 90K in sales. Like, did you prove it to them? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's all we wanted. I'm like, oh, so, okay, this is what you just needed. Yeah, so now, now what? <laughs> now that we have that number, that 90,000, um, 
it has started so many conversations and it's a whole new journey that I've never like now they're like okay let's have a second meeting I'm like ooh, I've never been to a second meeting I don't know what happens after this girl you're gonna have <laughs> options you gotta get some more mentors and advice because I think yeah you crushed it and they'd be silly to turn away an opportunity like this so good for you thank you <laughs> When you think about kind of those 35 days that we're in this campaign and imagining there's few people listening to this episode who might want to launch on crowdfunding either because they're in the same scenario as you that they need to prove it. Maybe they think it's a great marketing opportunity. Maybe they just really need the money before they put in a big order. So when you think about the campaign, is there anything that really surprised you about the process, either something that worked really well or alternatively something that was just a fail that you're like, whoops, and you just stopped doing um I think I realized after maybe in the second or third week of Kickstarter how important it was for us to um prepare for this a year before I know it sounds like a long time but I I was trying to uh, have our Kickstarter in the beginning of the year in January and everything something kept happening and we had to keep pushing it back and I was like I'm so happy that happened now. I was very mad back in January, but I'm so happy now because we were able to prepare properly. We were able to find our perfect messaging, uh, the, the perfect, we created the, the correct branding that we needed. Um, I met with the appropriate people to help me bring this to life. Uh, we found the perfect audience. Uh, all those, there's, there's not one thing you can do on crowdfunding campaign that will just like, Ooh, okay. I made all this money. Like we're successful. There's so many little things that you have to prepare and just bring them together. And that's how you get successful. Like one of the biggest advice that I can give if you're doing a crowdfunding campaign is grow your network so much. And like in the three to four months before the launch, because you need to get every single person, you know, family, friend, very long distant cousin, whoever, (laughs) they need to pledge in the first 72 hours. You need to prove whether it's Indiegogo, Kickstarter, any platform you use for crowdfunding, that you can bring your own network to support you. And then Kickstarter will start promoting you to their community. So you need to hit 30 to 50% of your funding goal in the first three days. If you can manage to do that, then why would Kickstarter promote you? The more money you bring to Kickstarter, the more money Kickstarter makes. So they're going to get, they're going to bring the best campaigns that make the most money for Kickstarter in their front homepage. So the Kickstarter community, people that keep backing up one campaign after the other, they'll come and notice your product or service or whatever you have. That's awesome. And did you were you aware of how that algorithm worked ahead of time? Was it successful for you? Did you get some organic sales outside of those friends, family, distant cousins twice removed? Yeah, I was I was reading I don't know how many articles and posts and books about crowdfunding. So I learned about the popularity algorithm about 20, 30 days before. So I knew I had to like grow my network, but then I actually like read it online too. And I'm like, oh, okay, shit. I need to make sure everybody like pledges then. If someone's like, oh, I'm just going to leave it. I'll do it on the weekend. Like, no, 
they need to do it now. <laughs> Give me your credit card. I'm pledging for you. Got it. Exactly. Cool. Anything you tried that didn't work? I think there's so many successes from an outsider view. I think you did such a great job hyping it up. Your video was super funny. I love that opening line of like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I'm not down for this. What's something you tried where you're like, oh, it didn't work? Um, two things. The, (laughs) we had a massive media list of, uh, we had emails of magazines, like fashion magazines, and uh, just like different publications. Nobody replied back to our emails. 500 emails, nobody replied back. So that was not mistake number one. Like there was no way for us to know that the press just wouldn't. I didn't know they get like a thousand pitches every day. <laughs> when I talked to our journalists after Kickstarter, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So we lost a bit of time, like two weeks on that. And then I also saw there was not a huge uh, ROI with the influencers. As much as I hate it to admit it, because we were in a pre-ordering phase and the influencers couldn't try on the product or show off the product, um, we didn't get any sales through that. So that was something like that, that was kind of shocked me. I really thought we were going to get more uh, pledges from those things. Mm-hmm. So I think for Kickstarter, when you don't have for our situation, because we didn't have the products to give to people and their audience maybe couldn't trust them or something like, I'm not sure what went wrong. So now we know once we are ready in Jan- uh, in February and it won't be a pre-ordering phase, it will be, okay, you order it right away and you receive your bra in a few days Um, I think influencer marketing works much better for that. Everyone had warned and advised me that launching a product through crowdfunding would be intense. For 30 days, you're basically on 24-7, messaging everyone you know, pitching media, posting on social media, running paid ads, and it's just chaos. I know from my experience, Jared and I on our launch day last week, It was nuts. We just set up shop at a coffee shop and for hours, we just sat beside each other, barely speaking. All you could hear was the other person's keyboard furiously typing away. I had to ask Stefania what this experience was like for her. I did not sleep for six weeks. (laughs) It's really bad to admit, but uh, I think two and a half months the two and a half months before lunch, uh, the launch was just uh, chaotic. I burnt out the second week of Kickstarter. I hadn't slept for the s- six weeks prior to that. The day that we did launch, I slept for 12 hours. And I'm like, okay, we made 8,000, whatever. Good night. <laughs> After you got past that first day. Cool. Okay. Well, it sounds like you have what it takes and I think the numbers speak for itself. So congratulations again. It was really cool to watch it, especially as I gear up for my first crowdfunding campaign. It's been a really great source of inspiration. Yeah, you're going to do great. You already have, it's really important to have a network. And I really think like you have a really strong network and community. And as long as you pressure everyone to get the first three days, you're good. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to time this episode for around that. So if you're listening, you heard it from her, not from me. 
I wanted to thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. It was really great to have you. Uh, thank you so much for letting me do this. It's amazing. No, you're amazing. <laughs> and I will see you later this month at the FemBot event and I'll be cheering you on there. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode. Holler at me if you ever want to talk crowdfunding and what this experience has been like for me. Just maybe wait until the campaign ends later this month because things are chaos. Please go check out the LDR activity book. Share our campaign with anyone you know in an LDR. That would mean the world to me. I've included a link to our campaign in the notes.